Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash bookshow. Then go over to morbidlybeautiful.com as we are now part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcasting Network. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. Have you checked the children? children. I want to play a game. The box. You opened it. We came. This is the All America Spook Show. Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the All American Spook Show. I'm Josh. I'm joined here with Donnie. Yo. And the Professor Smoke. What's up? Unfortunately, Will could not be with us. Uh, He's a little under the weather, uh, so he won't be joining us for this huge milestone episode. 150 episodes of the Spook Show, matter of fact. Yeah. We always say this every little milestone we hit, you know, probably about, what, every 25 episodes or so. We can't believe we've made it this far, but here we are. (laughs) Four years later, right? More than a little bit over four years. Yeah, it's uh, knocking on four and a half years ago because we started in October of 2018, so... We'll be celebrating our fifth anniversary this October. We we just figured what bigger, better way. I mean, we we actually had a list. We we kind of all, I think we all came up with two nominees, and then we put yeah we put we, so that gave us eight movies. They were all huge horror releases, and we kind of put them all on the same wheel this time around, and we spun it, and uh, this is what it landed on was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. 1974 but i don't think it would have been disappointing on any of those oh. that we had i mean like we had nominated some of the biggest horror movies of all time that uh, that we had not talked about on the spook show just yet not many much bigger than this right smoke no this is a granddaddy of of the genre at least of modern horror you know especially when we talk about 70s on let's say it doesn't get much bigger yeah highly influential we debated this right i, I believe back when we did that slasher special as to whether you could kind of count this as a slasher, right? Like, I think it's kind of slasher adjacent in a way, but like you, do, you will see this on some list of like best slasher films and stuff, right? Yeah, there's yeah, there's always that divide of like what exactly makes a a slasher movie pre Halloween because a lot of people consider John Carpenter's Halloween to be the first fully fledged slasher movie, and that anything before that is kind of like falls into the what they called proto slashers or movies that influenced the slasher genre later on. So, so really yeah. it's cut, it's, it's straw. It's, you know, it's splitting hair, whatever you need to be, whether you, you know, like black Christmas, some people consider that a slasher as well. So it does get included in lists for slasher movies, whether you deem it a full fledged slasher or the proto slasher. Genre. I, I definitely, myself, I definitely would consider say, for instance, black Christmas, a, a better mm-hmm. example of a slasher movie, you know, what they became, especially th- yeah. than I yeah. would this. Yeah, it's kind of like a, I kind of sort of a reference it towards a, like heavy metal, for instance. You know, you could get people to argue to their blue in the face that heavy metal started with Black Sabbath. I'm, I'm, OK, I'm in that camp. Let's just say not make this about metal, but <laughs> metal and horror are cousins. Right. So, yeah, I'm in the, the Black Sabbath is metal camp. And anything before that was proto metal. Right. Like other people are like, no, Led Zeppelin started metal and, you know, a little bit earlier, a few years earlier in the 60s. So. So, you know, there's always going to be that argument of what the first slasher movie or whatever, or whether this one is included or this or that other one is included in there or whatever. But 
yeah, I would say it's got more going on for it than your typical slasher movie does, maybe. But it definitely does fall, I think, in that genre. And, and of course, Leatherface is included with the pantheon of the, the top slasher killers. Yeah, I think we've had those discussions, too, before. About We've never done a full-on Mount Rushmore episode, but we've talked about doing a, that in the past. And, and maybe we will one day. But I think if you're doing the Mount Rushmore, you know, Jason, Freddy, you know, Pinhead, right? Uh, uh, what maybe uh, uh, I'm blanking on what they call Scream, Ghostface, you know, yeah, Ghostface. yeah, leather, uh, Leatherface is right there. He's if he's not oh, yeah. top four, he's like five, six, seven, right? You know, he's right beside him if, if nothing else. So there's no question. Don't forget that. Donnie's favorite. Donnie's favorite slasher killer will be in there too. Maybe like Chucky. Chucky, yeah, of course. Oh, fuck, fuck you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait to get to the Child's Play series. But, you know, this we're doing Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but this isn't the beginning of a new series, but it could be. I mean, they made a good handful yeah. uh, after this. Some of them kind of direct sequels, others kind of reboots and whatnot. I mean, there are various uh, positive and negative. But before we I, – I do want to talk about all this, and we got a lot to talk about here. But l- let's just uh, hit pause on that and just go ahead and – Throw out a few things on Front Street here. Number one, if you've never listened to us before, and, and, and there's a good chance you might not have because this is a bigger release, so maybe we got a lot of first-time listeners. We are a spoiler-filled podcast uh, here on the Spook Show. So we are going. if you've never seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, good Lord. What's wrong with you? Yeah, what the hell? You know, why are you listening to this, first and foremost, if you've never watched it? But, yeah, we encourage you to go watch it, come back, and listen to the rest of this because we're going to spoil it if you haven't. Uh, also, as well, we encourage you to go over to aaspookshow.com. That's the center of the Spook Show universe. You can get on our, our YouTube channel from there where we have all of our uh, cool series lined up over there. Um, we got Hammer Horror in order. We've got Grindhouse Gutter. We've got Spook Show Rewind. And we just introduced a new one uh, just uh, last month in Video Vortex. So that's available on our YouTube channel. You, de- you definitely want to check all those different series out. And they are vastly different series on the YouTube channel. And then of course we have our Patreon. You can, you can reach it from the website there, patreon.com slash a spook show. That's where we have every month video minisodes, including the library, the professor and other cool things that we do there. And, uh, the main event over on Patreon is every month we do crapster piece theater. Every month we put out a poll, we nominate four turds. You choose which one stinks the most, I guess, of which I wish you would pick the one that stinks the least, but, but you don't, you pick movies like cats and then, you know, kill us a little bit in, on the inside every time we have to watch it. Watch these things. Yeah, movies, movies that we could have gone the rest of our lives without just having to watch, you know. But oh, yeah. Well, thanks, we, We've had a few of those already, for sure. I think we've basically been doing Crapster Piece Theater for a year now. And we've definitely had a yeah. few that, like, look, I managed to avoid all my life up until now. So, <laughs> so thanks for that. But, Accurate. But, yeah. We, yeah we, all, we all choose the movies that go on Crapster Piece together, each of us. And then everybody out there in, uh, in Spook Show Land votes on it. So, uh you know, somewhat of it is us to blame a little bit, but a lot of times we put movies on there where we're hoping that the other one gets chosen. Yeah. But no, no, no. Y'all, y'all want to torture us. If nothing else, it proves that we're not a lucky bunch of guys, you know, (laughs) we need to, we need to avoid Vegas and, uh, quit playing the lottery because you know, we have no hope, but that that's over on, uh, patreon.com slash a spook show with that, (laughs) all of that out of the way, we'll go ahead and toss to the trailer for the Texas chainsaw massacre. This is the movie that Rex Reed called the most horrifying motion picture I have ever seen. 
This phone is positively ruthless in its attempt to drive you right out of your mind. It accomplishes everything it sets out to do with brilliance and unparalleled terror. This is the horror movie to end them all. called the most horrifying motion picture I have ever seen. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre from New Line Cinema. All right, there you go. That's the trailer for that. So uh, I guess before we dive into the ins and outs and, and the whatnots and have-nots, uh, Smoke, I'll, I guess I'll toss to you first. Uh, what's your history with this one? I don't know exactly what year I saw it, but it had to be, first of all, this is the, a home video. This is the first movie I ever bought on home video, and it was Betamax. Without going into that whole deal, let's just say that my parents bought a Betamax at, at the time when Beta was about to go out. They got a good good deal on it, I guess, so they didn't realize, though, what was going on with the, <laughs> with the VHS about to take over and Beta about to be gone, right? So so they bought the Beta machine, and then a uh, short time after that, there was only two, videos, two video stores in town that rented Beta movies. Uh, all the other ones had switched over to VHS, right? So uh, And this other one started... Uh, systematically selling off some of their beta titles as well. So I picked up Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It had to be about 1986, I would say. 85, 86, somewhere. I think it was 86, somewhere around in there. And uh, bought it on their used bin. And then that was the first time I had seen it because I, for whatever reason, though, well, because of the Betamax thing, and I don't know where this movie had been in the store before, but they didn't have it on the shelves. I could not find Texas Chainsaw to rent. And never a reminder, I only had two options to go with as far as betas, beta tape. So the one store didn't have it at all or for whatever reason. I must have had it at some point, I assume, because it was a big rental. But the other one had uh, put it, taken it out of service, I guess, and ended up putting it in there uh, previously viewed to sell later on. So it did, for, for some reason, I, I had avoided this movie, not because I didn't want to see it. It had this legend built up around it, though, in my head for the longest time. Because Texas Chainsaw isn't one of those movies that around that time, you your friends maybe had seen it or some older friends maybe. You talk to them. It was a legend going around this movie, and you hear all these stories about it. And you hear how, first of all, and we'll get into this, the sort of myths and whatnot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But you hear a lot of like, wow, this movie's so gory. It's so messed up. People get sawed in pieces and all this stuff. And so as a teenager or preteen, you know, I'm hearing all this stuff, and I haven't seen it yet. So I have this thing built up in my head about what it's going to be when I finally do see it. So when I finally did find it and buy it on that previously viewed tape, to be honest with you, the first time I saw it, I was slightly disappointed in it because it did not live up in my head to the hype that was built around it through legends of other people talking about how 
disturbing and disgusting and gory and all this stuff it was. So I'd already been well-versed somewhat in horror movies like Dawn of the Dead and some other things that I'd seen well before Texas Chainsaw because I was easy able to get my hands on them, rent them or whatever. So, uh, yeah, the first time I saw it, I was slightly disappointed. It took me another watch at least, if not two more watches, to fully appreciate what it was. Like I said, once that hype had been alleviated in my head and I actually watched it the first time and got over that little bit of initial disappointment and it not being what I built it up to be in my head, then I was able to enjoy it for what it was. So probably by the third viewing of it, I realized how what a powerful movie it was. And so that's my, sort of my history with it. So how about y'all? Yeah, for me, I, I probably didn't see it until sometime, you know, in the mid nineties, probably. Um, that's just because, you know, our age differences or whatever, like, but it wasn't something that was like, you know, when you're a kid, like your parents aren't going to let you rent that. You know? Oh yeah. So, like, <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't until like sometime yeah. in the early to mid nineties before I could start picking out my own stuff. And, uh, eventually, yeah. you know, like I was able to rent it and watch it. And, and I think I kind of fall in the same camp. Like that legend got built up in your head. Like, oh man, this is supposed to be the, like the most jacked up movie ever made. And then when I saw it, I'm like, okay, well, it's just, you know, it was, yeah, there's some <laughs> stuff, but you know, mostly it's just, a you know, feels like it felt like to me there was just a girl screaming for 30 minutes, you know, <laughs> and then <laughs> the end, you know, but a personal story to that, like, it was like a, a, a legend, so to speak, or a, a story in my family that my parents had rented this movie, like, you know, probably around the same time, right? Like that mid eighties back when well, like, we didn't mm-hmm. even own a VCR, like they had to rent the VCR and the tapes kind of thing. Oh, yeah. So my parents had rented <laughs> it and my brother, who's uh, roughly about three years older than me, we were in bed. He snuck into the room, like in the living room while they were watching it. And then like he, he peeks from behind the couch and he sees them watching this and it freaks him the fuck out. You know, they, he screams and like runs away. So it became like a story in our family, right? Like that he got the shit scared out of him, you know, when he was too little to be watching this thing. So like that probably didn't help my case for seeing it any earlier than I did either. Right. Like <laughs> that it scared the shit out of him. But so yeah. yeah and later. knowing your brother, is that's just hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I but, don't remember yeah. what, how age, what age he was, but I'm guessing probably definitely less than 10, you know, like somewhere between yeah. six to 10 years old, you know, so. Uh, so yeah, that, that, that didn't help my cause for seeing it when I wanted to see it, but it was much, many years later. Well, what about you, Donnie? I first watched it right about the same time that, uh, you, you guys yeah. did probably a little bit later, probably, uh, right around the, the, uh, I guess the late nineties, maybe you, you and I are the, pretty um, much the exact same age, right? There's only like a month or yeah. so between us. So probably about the yeah, same. something like that. Yeah. yeah it was, it was about the mid to late nineties for me. But yeah, like I alluded to earlier, this movie, this was just the beginning of a, of a whole thing. Although there was a huge gap before they finally made the second one. Uh, this movie released wide in the United States. Well, it actually played first. It played in Austin, Texas on October 1st of 1974. But then it got released wide, whatever, we can, you know, about 10 days later on October 11th, 1974. So that's when the, the masses started to see it in drive-ins and theaters across the country when you when you first saw this you know uh after hearing about it and you know just the the whole build-up from the first time that you saw it yeah you know maybe you were you know a little disappointed as you know as i was because i you know i heard about the uh the whole you know i don't want to say stigma but build up the uh hype. behind it the hype um yeah so um from now I'm sorry, from then to now, what, what, you know, in, in your guys' opinion, uh, what makes this one of the 
one of the best movie, best horror movies of all time. What what makes it? Is it just because it's a classic, or is there something specific about it that holds weight even you know through all of the you know great horror movies of of all time? Like what makes it great? You mind if I take it first? Go ahead. Yeah, how about it? Yeah, for me, like I said, once I got over that initial hype out of the way and everything, and then I don't know how long it was before I got back to it the second time. I, I do remember, though, I might have the years off, because I remember Texas Chainsaw 2 came out in 86, and I had seen the movie and grown to really love the movie before Texas Chainsaw 2 came out. So my years might be a lot. Maybe it was 84 or 85 when I first saw it, whatever the case. Upon reviewing, you know, reviewing it a second and third time or whatever, I realized I... I I think the reason it's so strong is because of what it does. It show is because of when people see this movie the first time and whether they've only seen it once, that hype was built up in their head because of viewing it and coming away from it with this sort of legend of the movie that didn't even exist, but they built up in their head, so to speak. In other words, that no actual limbs are sawn in this movie, except Leatherface's own leg when he gets hit in the head with a wrench and the saw falls and it, you know, tears into his leg a little bit, right? That's the only time you ever see the chainsaw meat and flesh in this movie. But yet you can take 10 different people that saw the movie back then in the 80s one time and then they'll, you know, they'll say how how disturbing it was. I can't believe how many people's limbs getting sawn off and all that. It's really what's not shown that your mind sort of, uh, you see a, an image of the saw going down, let's say on, uh, I can't remember the, right now, I can't remember the character's name in the movie, but after Sally gets hung up on the meat hook and then Leatherface cranks the saw up and starts going to town on one of the kids that's laying down on the, you know, that he's not, the guy hit in the head with a sledgehammer a little mm-hmm. bit earlier. And I said Sally, I didn't mean Sally. I meant uh, <laughs> the girl he hangs on the meat hook, right? Right after he brains the guy in the head with a sledgehammer. So he's, He's got her hanging on the hook, and then he's going to start sawing on the guy, but the, everything's off angle from the camera. Like, you don't see anything. You you hear him start to saw. He's going, you know, and you see him sawing something, and you, it's the body, but you don't see it meeting flesh. You don't see even, you don't even see blood flying around or anything, but your mind, like, goes there anyway. Yeah. And for that, for that matter, her hanging on the meat hook, there's nothing yeah, shown. Thing, yeah, Pam, right? That's it. Yeah. Uh, you don't see the meat hook penetrator back you don't have to like you see her going towards the hook then you see her leatherface lift her up and bam slam her down you feel that hook going into your own like you feel it you don't have to see anything it's like your mind creates the image for you and i think that's part of the power of the movie as well as it being shot the way it was on on a 16 millimeter being blown up to 35 millimeters there's all sorts of artistic things that like even toby hooper himself couldn't recreate and never even try to recreate in any of the other movies he did. Yeah, Repeated viewings, it gets stronger. I agree with everything the smoke just said, as far as like what makes it enduring is the fact that they're not showing much, but you know, like the thing, the thing is too, like Toby Hooper, when he's first submitted this movie, he was like, yeah, this will get PG. And he's thinking it's because there wasn't a, a <laughs> yeah. massive amount of visual gore. Right. Like, but instead he got, he submitted it and it got rated an X. Which means nobody's, you know, especially at the time, nobody's going to fucking see this movie. So, like, he actually had to go back and make a lot of cuts and then submit, resubmit it, and it got an R rating, and that's where we are, you know, now. But to the point, like, yeah, this is the dude that made it. He's like, yeah, this isn't bad, you know. <laughs> it, it'll get a PG. No, he got a fucking X. But that that proves, like, even though you're not seeing much, there's still some pretty. It's it. It's all in your head, kind of thing, right? Like, it's 
It's like, yeah. like you said, you can feel it. You can like, without seeing it, you can see it. And I think it's visceral in a way that like not a lot of movies are that show even more, you know, like, cause it, it, yeah. it, it sticks with you. So I think my initial disappointment with it was because, because you didn't see those things, but now mm-hmm. I, I have grown to appreciate it more over the years. Like smoke said, because you don't see those things. And it's funny, it, like it's, it's a disturbing movie. I mean, you know, we're jaded kind of now. I mean, as horror fans, <laughs> it's jaded, yeah. right? But over the gore and stuff they see. But I still think this movie has the power to disturb in it. And it has something to do with that pseudo documentary style, like I said, from the from the film grain of it being 16, blown up to 35. And then what? <laughs> all these various elements that go into it. It's very pseudo documentary like. And her, like you feel the angst and everything in those scenes and we'll get into as we're describing it in the farmhouse like and they were feeling the angst as actors because of the heat in that place the smell of the animal bones and the food that was rotting all this yeah all these elements to it i think their performances were enhanced for better or worse for themselves you know they probably hated it at the time they were going through it but after the fact and what came out of it is very visceral as josh said too but just just based on that style of filmmaking i think and I think too, like as time goes on, and if you're big fans of horror and st- and this movie, too, you learn more about that process that they made to, you know, went through to make this, and then you really appreciate it even more. Like he said, the heat they made this in the middle of, you know, in the Austin, Texas era or uh, area. I'm sorry, in the middle of the summer. You know, it's like July, August, and mid Texas heat. You know, it's getting up to 110 degrees, something like that. And air conditioning inside that farmhouse either <laughs> yeah like they have a budget roughly uh more than it takes us to make this podcast you know <laughs> to make this movie as fast as they can in the heat because they don't want to spend more money to rent more equipment so you know the more you learn about these things and the fact that like basically nobody really got paid from this damn movie even though it was so successful you know there's a lot of stories there i think it it makes you appreciate it even more the more you see it. It's definitely one to me, you know, and we'll get to it, I'm sure, with our star ratings and everything, that I, I grow to appreciate it more and more every time I watch it. And, like, my rating almost slightly goes up a little bit more and more as time goes on and every time I get to watch it. But, like I said, this was just the beginning of, of what became a whole franchise. Uh, this one, like I said, 1974 is released. It wasn't until uh, almost 12 years later before our, our good old buddies at Canon Films knocked on Toby Hooper's door and got him to do the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. That came out August 22nd of 1986. Was that now Smoke, do you think that'll be cannon fodder or a regular episode? How do you think that one will appear on the podcast? You know, I think I think we should, I think it deserves a cannon fodder thing too. But I mean, it could be it could go either way, but being cannon cannon, I think it we could easily put it in cannon fodder, but we should probably at some point, you know, not to say exactly what we could do because we're not there yet, but Maybe sometime soon we can get in the cannon fodder just to kind of tie in, ride this Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, mm. thing out a little bit further. I, I know eventually they're going to get terrible. <laughs> and yeah, I haven't yeah. even, like Hellraiser, I haven't seen all of the Texas Chainsaw franchise, believe it or not. But but uh, at least the first three, like Hellraiser, will be entertaining. You know, well, plus, we'll, two, plus two, I guess, you know, there is that precedent that we just set with when we did Hospital Massacre, you know, slash X-Ray last month. Mm. Where like yeah that's a canon movie but it, we treated it like a regular episode with our canon yeah. rating so maybe that's mm-hmm. another one that you know we play like that but uh, but then they can they kind of came hot and heavy in the years following the second one in 1990 you've got Leatherface the Texas Chainsaw Massacre three then in 1995 Texas Chainsaw Massacre the Next Generation 
then uh, 2003, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was a remake, but not not quite shot for shot, but pretty much a pretty faithful remake of the original. You've got the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning. You've got that was in 2006. Then in 2013, Texas Chainsaw 3D. Then in 2017, Leatherface. Then just last year, almost literally a, a, a one year ago, exactly. Uh, straight to Netflix, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which that one was more not really remake as much as kind of reimagining reboot kind of thing to me. But, but then again, 40 years later, whatever it was kind of, so it's weird, but (laughs) yeah, there's a lot of weirdness in a lot of those movies that I just, you know, spouted off there as far as like where they fit. Are they connected? Then I think it was kind of like its own little mini reboot re, uh, universe when they started over again. It's it's a whole thing, and they're not all good, right? No, no. And I think well, at least the good thing was nobody. I don't think anybody ever set out to try and outdo the original. Even Toby Hooper, when he made Texas Chainsaw Two, people realized that you, you're not gonna. There, there was magic in a bottle there that you're not gonna be able to get again. It's just mm. all the factors that went into the making of the movie. So you're gonna just have to do your own thing with it. And uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two. Some people hate that movie. And from the very beginning, I've always liked that one for different reasons than I like the first one. You know, it's got more gore. He decided, you know, to go the other way and put a lot of gore into the second one. A lot more humor, even though the first one had a little bit of dark humor here and there, of course. He added even more of that into the second one. Yeah. It's canon. It's got Canon's name on it. I don't know that it's really, you know, you don't think Canon when you just you see the logo. But I mean, it's, it's totally Toby Hooper. Yeah. But he just didn't try to do the same thing he did with the first one, thankfully. And nobody else who's made any Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies have try- attempted to even, you know, emulate that either. <laughs> for good, for better or worse, they've gone their own way. That one was more campy to me than any of the others. Now, you know, the second that, one, yeah, like they were really leaning in on the, like this is this is nonsense. Let's just kind of lean in on it a little. Bit. It's not full <laughs> comedy, right? But it, like you said, there's way more in it, and it just felt campier. Yeah, it was, and and there was a you know. As far as the gore, Tom Savini did the effects on the second one. Also, there's a sort of a similarity, and we'll get to it in this movie, The Hitcher, the character of The Hitcher. Mm. The character uh, Bill Mosley plays as Chop Top is not supposed to be the same, but he's got a lot of a lot of similarity there with The Hitcher. And, that, and I, actually, both Ed Neal and uh, Bill Mosley <laughs> have a bit of similar added style or whatever yeah. outside of it. I've met both of them at conventions before, and they're, they sort of have the same similar personality outside of the movie business as well. But yeah, anyways, uh, back to some of the background information. Uh, it was uh, released, like I said, October 11th, 74 by Vortex. It was produced by Vortex and distributed by Bryanston Dist- Distributing Company. Uh, like we just uh, said a few minutes ago, it was rated R. Total runtime of one hour and 23 minutes. Of course, on IMDb, it's listed just as a horror. It was filmed, like like I said, in the middle of the summer, like July, August heat. In 1973, in the, in the kind of that Austin, Texas area, kind of out in the middle of, you know, Nowheresville out there. For uh, now, the budget is where it gets a little rocky to like peg down an exact number. The rough number that I could find was about 140 thousand dollars. Now, some say it was it was it might have been a little less. Some tend to agree that it might have been a little bit more. You know, after post production and everything like that. But I didn't see any number greater than 300 thousand. So either way. This movie was made for somewhere between, say, 100K to 300K. And it went on to have a worldwide gross, now, although it took a long time to get there. But currently it sits at $30.9 million. Now, I say that because it didn't make, you know, it probably made most of that initially, but it didn't make all of that. It took it, like, 
this was one of those movies that got played in drive-ins and grindhouses and stuff for like 10 years afterwards, just on reputation alone. So it took it a while to get there, but needless to say successful, but like from what I was reading is like, it wasn't necessarily successful financially for the people involved because they had to sell off a stake to uh Bryanston distributing company to get it released. And they had to, they sold off another stake over here to somebody else, blah, blah, blah. Right. So like, and the problem was, is that the, I guess the cast mainly, and I guess some of the crew, they got points. They got percentage points for doing this movie. So like they gave 50% right off the top to that Bryanston distributing company. So they didn't mm-hmm. even tell the rest of them like, yeah, all you're getting, you're, the points you're getting are going to be from that other half that we make off of. So that means right there, they're only getting like their points from that 15 million. Right. And then I think there was some other stuff that happened after that. So like basically it, it boiled down to everybody got to split up about eight grand and that's about all they made off of it in the end. And then by the time that like there was some lawsuit or something with Bryanston and basically by the time they settled this thing and got money out of it, uh, Vortex had already went bankrupt, you know? So basically they got nothing in the end for making this movie other than the fact that, you know, I guess Toby Hooper went on to bigger and better things. He's probably about the only one out of all this that really got anything and that was probably just street cred, right? Yeah, pretty much. And I mean, we might as well here take a minute <laughs> to talk about Bryanston distributors a little bit, maybe. <laughs> as they were started by uh, sons of the Colombo crime family. <laughs> it was uh, the Perino, uh, let's see, Louis Perino and his brother Joseph Perino Sr. were the president and the vice president, secretary treasurer of Bryanston. And uh, their first movie was Deep Throat. Oh, God. They distributed <laughs> And uh, then that was followed by, I think, another another porno or something after that. And then Flesh for Frankenstein, <laughs> they did that. <laughs> Dark Star, uh, Return of the Dragon, you know, the Bruce Lee, Chuck Norris movie. Ah. Uh, this is Chainsaw Massacre, of course. Oh, and another movie that we've done on the podcast before that they, and I, I don't have the episode off the top of my head, but uh, The Devil's Reign. Oh, shit. <laughs> mm. So there you go. That's a, so, yeah. If you want to make direct connections, Donnie, like you do in the Crypt Connections later. There yeah. you've got, you've got, uh, oh, yeah. you just connected Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Leatherface to Devil's Reign and William Shatner, which connects to Halloween because that's where they got the mask for. Yeah, Michael we don't. Myers, uh, for Michael uh, Myers, I don't. I don't track. Uh, let's Masks. see. I track uh, directors, <laughs> writers. No. Yeah, I track directors, yeah. writers, producers, uh, special effects, uh, makeup. But not where the mask events. came from. No. <laughs> Yeah. No, not <laughs> that, like prop that, masters that direct, or anything yeah, like that. In the end, though, what I'm saying is that is the connection, right? We just connected Leatherface to Michael Myers, and that's whatever. true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, slap. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Thou art the one. Slap. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, man. I didn't think I'd be talking about Einstein, the devil's reign. Went out of business in 1976 uh, for legal troubles, and you know, I don't know if it had anything to do with the mafia thing either. But whatever the case, they. Yeah. They went out of business in 76. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. And based on yeah. everything I read there, you know, what I just, you know, was talking about a minute ago and that none of this surprises me. And, uh, somebody was quoted as saying like, at some point later, they realized they had sold their soul to the devil, but they wanted to get this movie out, you know? And like, yeah. and really at the time, I guess nobody was wanting to touch it. Yeah. The, the early days of modern horror movies. And if you want to talk about what maybe if we had to say what movie started, that probably would be night of the living dead by George Romero. In 1968, that started sort of the modern horror, you know, movies get a little bit more violent, a little bit more also homemade sort of movies coming up out of people's like the, 
in this case, it was Texas. In George Romero's case, it was Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he also got kind of ripped off by distributors and things because he didn't have a copyright and nobody made money off of 90 of the Living Dead. So, yeah, it was a very, very rough beginning for some of these early modern, modern horror filmmakers. Yeah. That, that, that were these, like, you know, films that would go on to be legends and very influential didn't make much money for the creators. <laughs> yeah. Well, if nothing else, like I said, Toby Hooper and, you know, in the case of uh, George Romero, at least they got the street cred, right? Like, they got, they, got to, they got to pad their resume with something that went on to be huge and, and, and probably did lead to them having other bigger opportunities later on. It might have took some time, but, you know, at least there's that. They were able to turn it into something. But unfortunately for some of the other people involved, you know, that's not necessarily the case. But, yeah, as far as Toby Hooper is concerned, you know, he, he, was, uh, he wrote the screenplay, him and Kim Henkel, and uh, he directed the movie. And I would imagine that there's going to be a spook show spotlight on old Toby Hooper before uh, oh. it's all said and done. Oh, yeah. And uh, another like kind of thing while I'm thinking about it, cause I'll probably forget if I don't mention it is uh, speaking of Toby Hooper and Texas Chainsaw and things that are influenced by it and how influential the movie is. It influenced another slasher that came out some a few years later called uh, the toolbox murders. Then later, later on Toby Hooper himself directed the remake of the toolbox murders, <laughs> which is just a little strange. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I would imagine sometimes guys like that would agree like, yeah, I'll do that again because this time they got more money to play with, you know? So maybe that's, maybe that was part of it. He was one of those dudes kind of like Romero though, right? That like, yeah, he worked in the system, but didn't really work well within the system. Right. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. He was very much, uh, cause when he got a little bit more money, you know, things for Romero, it was, uh, you know, Creepshow was a great movie. He had a little bit more money to work with, but he still was able to do things the way he wanted to. It was basically by the time he got to the dark half, that Stephen King adaptation for, in Hollywood, that he had to kind of like compromise. Once he, once he had to compromise his artistic vision and do it under this certain budget and he's got all this money going to all these other things or whatever, like I think they just worked better when they had their own small crew of friends and family that they knew and had total creative control once they had to give up that control. Yeah. They were all tours of their own vision, you know, so to speak. So they weren't necessarily working that well with others <laughs> in the Hollywood system. This movie stars Marilyn Burns, Edwin Neal, Alan Danziger. Yeah. These are names you've probably never heard unless you're really into horror or, you know, really love this movie, right? Like there's no one, there's no huge names in this movie Although Gunnar Hansen, you know, who plays Leatherface in the movie, probably ended up being the biggest name, but that's just mostly in horror circles, right? Like, as far as big time, uh, that's about it. Other than John Larroquette, you know, famous from Night Court and and tons of Uh, other stuff, you know, throughout the 80s and 90s. He's not in the movie. He's the narrator at the very beginning of the Mm -hmm. movie. And uh, it's hilarious because I saw somewhere that basically he just got paid in weed to do it. Yeah, like (laughs) That is awesome. He didn't make a penny. He just like... They just gave him some weed, and he did. <laughs> he voiced it. And they wa- they wanted him to read it in an Orson Welles voice, but if he did read it in Orson Welles voice, it still just sounded like John Larroquette. Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is, is like I had no idea that it was John Larroquette. And I mean, I, I found out years ago. You know, I know yeah. now, but like at the time, you know, when I'm I hear that, and I heard it a number of times in my view. Yeah. I didn't really put it together. That it was him. But now when you find out that it's him, yeah, then you can't unhear it. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. That's John yeah. Arquette. All right. You know? <laughs> and, and of course too, I mean, I'm sure he was a good Lord. How, how young would he have been at that point? I mean, he had to have been what roughly yeah, 70. They were shot. This, he, I don't um, know when he was born right off hand, but he probably around his early. Uh, he was born in 47. So, well, he would have been about 
20, mid twenties, probably seventy three. So yeah, when this was made. So yeah, either way, um, that's hilarious. He was he was paid in uh, was paid in weed, but he's <laughs> probably the biggest name attached to it, right? Other than maybe Gunnar Han- Hansen, just because you know we as horror fans we know who that is. You know he played the original Leatherface, but who else? Right? That's about it, right? Yeah, that's all that I can really. I mean, well, other than some of the behind-the-scenes people, like uh, who was a Daniel Pearl, the cinematographer, he, he went on to do bigger movies in Hollywood and whatnot as far as a set decorator and cinematographer, believe it. Why fuss and fret about dinner? Why not have it right here? Yes, this drive-in offers everyone in the family a real picnic treat for dinner. We've got delicious sandwiches with all the trimmings and your other dinner favorites, plus whatever you want to drink, hot or cold. Come early before the show starts or eat while you're being entertained, or at intermission time. So why fuss? Give your family a tasty dinner at this drive-in. For you, the listeners of the All-American Spook Show, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So, like we often do, I hopped on over to Audible, typed in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and what do you know, we, we found a few interesting things here. We've got Chainsaw Confidential, How We Made the World's Most Notorious Horror Movie by Gunnar Hansen. And it's actually narrated by Gunner. That one's a little over seven hours long, and it looks like it's an Audible exclusive, too. So you, that sounds like, <laughs> if you're a fan of this, you might want to go check that one out. A couple more here, though. We've got Be- Behind the Horror, True Stories That Inspired Horror Movies by Dr. Lee Meller. And that one's uh, about nine and a half hours long. And then we've got uh, <laughs> Leatherface versus Tricky Dick. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre as Political Satire by Martin Harris. Uh, that one's, uh, just over eight hours long. So that, that, that's interesting, but yeah, there's a handful of other things, you know, a lot of kind of behind the scenes type stuff. And, and, and especially like that inspired, you know, quote unquote, true stories that inspired things. And we can talk about that here in just a second about this one in particular, but, uh, yeah, if any of those things, things sound like they would be of interest to you, go to audibletrial.com slash spook show. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash spook show for your free audio book. So, I'm going to hop back on over to IMDb and I'm going to click on plot summaries to see what pops up. And surprise, surprise, we've got a few. It's, it's, it's the fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'll give you the brief one first. Five friends head out to rural Texas to visit the grave of a grandfather. On the way, they stumble across what appears to be a deserted house, only to discover something sinister within. Something armed with a chainsaw. And because Donnie what? loves... And, <laughs> and because Donnie loves these, I'm just going to read the long, the longest one as the second one here. It's not as long... <laughs> <laughs> it's not as long as some of the other ones I've read, but it's, you know, here we go. This one was submitted by Derek O'Kane over on IMDb. The year is 1974. A group of five close friends are heading through the back roads of Texas en route to their grandfather's potentially vandalized grave. Vandalized, boy, I'd say so. Among <laughs> them are Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother, Franklin. They encounter an unpleasant hitchhiker, Neil, who slashes both himself and Franklin with a wicked-looking knife. <laughs> The others manage to eject the hitchhiker from the vehicle, but shortly after war, what the way they <laughs> it's afterwards, but they put a space in there. So <laughs> but, <laughs> but shortly afterwards, they are forced to stop and wander over to a small sinister clapboard house nearby in hopes for gas. What none of them realizes that this house is the home of the ghoulish Leatherface and his evil, demented family of cannibalistic psychopaths. One at a time, the teens are murdered by the Leatherface in horrifying ways. Sally soon finds herself an involuntary guest at Leatherface's home and flees into the night to escape the demented cannibal and his loudly buzzing chainsaw. 
Can she escape the grim fate that befell her friends and brother? Based on the terrifying true story of Ed Gein. So that that's probably a good uh, shift over to what this is supposedly based on, right, Smoke? Yeah, and we might as well start there with the fact that from the opening, you know, John Larquette's opening little monologue there, the very first part of that, I believe, is it about the events being based on a true story. Well, that that right there, and yes, they somewhat are, but the way that it comes off is, and the way that also, when I was younger, another thing that added to the legend and mystique of the movie before I knew exactly what it was about is that everybody said, oh, it's based on a true story that they, you know, there was a guy in Texas with a chainsaw, you know, running around killing people or whatever. So, you know, you, you get this in your head before you see the movie when you're younger in the 80s or whatever. And then you see it and you're like, oh, wow, this is based on a true story. That's pretty messed up. But then, you know, I, you, as, as I became a horror fan, I wanted to know more about the background of it. Yeah, I came across Ed Gein uh, and read about his exploits. And then you find out that, you know, not only is this movie somewhat based slightly on Ed Gein, but also Psycho was also based on Ed Gein. And uh, there's no chainsaw involved. There's no, you know, but then back then you get, you swear, you get people swear up and down that, yeah, there was a chainsaw killer in, uh, in Texas that did all this stuff. And, it, and even the legends of Texas, they thought it was true at the time when it came out. And, and you apparently, according to uh, Toby Hooper and Gunnar Hansen in an interview or something, they swore that people would swear that they were, they knew, uh, they had a friend who worked in the, uh, as like a jail guard and, and they, they knew the, the guy that the original Texas Chainsaw was based on. Now he's like a cook in the mental institution or something recently. <laughs> This, that, and the other thing. So you had all these legends flying around, and that just adds to the mystique of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But yeah, you find out that it's really nothing. The only truth in it is that it is somewhat based on Ed Gein, who robbed graves for the most part, killed possibly two people at least, maybe more. Uh, and he used their body parts for various things, like making lampshades out of them, or he'd like have a, a belt <laughs> made of uh, female nipples, or he had a... Uh, heads on like bedposts. He had all this messed up stuff from his grave robbing expeditions and the, the bones in the Texas Chainsaw House, animal bones strung up here and there and all that. That kind of came from reports of what was in Ed Gein's ha- farmhouse where they found you know, kind of different objects made of animal bones and human bones. And whatnot. So yeah, that part was true. But uh, And then, then I had to find out more about him. So I'd read novels about Ed Gein and stuff. So it was part of the mystique of, it, of thinking that it was a true story. And then finding out the truth later on. Yeah, I mean, because like Ed Gein's that that stuff happened like back in the 1950s in Wisconsin. You know, yeah. it had nothing to yeah. do with Texas or a guy with like you said a chainsaw or anything. It was just you know similarities. There there are some similarities, and there's similarities to other things. But I think I saw where uh, mostly Toby, Toby Hooper's concept just came from just watching the the uh, the bad shit that was on the news in the 70s. You know, he just kind of co- yeah. cobbled it together from all this horrible, horrible visuals that you would see just on the daily news. Yeah, I think Hooper himself even said he didn't even know about the Ed Gein part of it until later. I mean, after the movie was already made, I think that it was just sort of subconsciously in his mind or something about, you know. But he didn't directly base it on Ed Gein. He just found out later after the fact that, yeah, there was Ed Gein who did wear human skin masks, you know, at a at certain points in his in his ex escapades from you know his grave robbing or whatever, so that was just sort of coincidental in a way. I'd seen something else too, like you you mentioned Psycho was uh you know kind of loosely is there too as well, right? But I saw and uh, one I hadn't really thought about was the the other one was the Silence of the Lambs. It's, it's true, yes, it's loosely no, that, based there too. There, I forget who mentioned it. The writer uh my, of the who's the novel? I can't remember the guy who ran the wrote the novel. 
shit. If you hadn't asked, I would have been able to tell you. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if we weren't doing a podcast, and it would just pop in my head just like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. You'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was, uh, uh, let me see, Thomas Thomas Harris. Thomas Harris, yeah. Thomas I think Harris. he had, he had sort of had this amalgamation of various serial killers when he came up. And and, and uh, Ed Gein was definitely, not that Ed Gein was a serial killer, I guess you call him. Whatever, he gets slumped in with it, even if he just only killed a couple or whatever. Mostly grave robbing. But, yeah, he he was one of the ones that was influential in the writing on Silence of Lambs. So there were, there were others. But Well, Donnie, where do you want to start with this one now that we're going to we're gonna talk about some of the highlights here? What do you, uh, I went uh, maybe right at the beginning with that crawl. Like, I think that was one of the notes that I made. Like, this, that whole beginning sequence. You've got the voiceover crawl by John Larroquette. You've got mm-hmm. the the flash bulb, you know, the meep, you know, with the noise. <laughs> every time they would take a picture. And every picture is just this god-awful, like, image of a... Like, uh, 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 yeah, like skin. a grizzly, grizzly muff, like not really mummified, just decomposing hand, yeah, yeah, or a fingers skull, and mouth, yeah. whatever. And then appendages, bam, yeah. Then bam, like you hear a report of uh, there was this grave robber, right? And they they took some of the body parts from the graves and they made like this grotesque uh, statue kind of in the graveyard, mm. and then mm. it just slowly zooms out from this, you know, this imagery. So like, it's a, it's a, a slap to the face and a kick to the nuts just in the first five minutes. Yeah. 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 I like that whole opening with the start. I mean, after you get the crawl, it straight starts in black with the flash bulb going off to reveal the parts of the corpse. Then as soon as the flash bulb bulb and that sound goes off, right. Then it goes to black again. And it just keeps doing that. And I do remember reading something about Daniel Pearl, cinematographer was sort of, flabbergasted on a <laughs> at the fact that you would do a movie like that like you would start it in black with nothing nothing at all just black screen and then the flash this that he, he thought it was a kind of goes it went against his filmmaking his cinema you know as being a cinematographer it went against the style i guess but then he said after he saw it and be like okay i know exactly what he's going for and it worked out perfectly it's just you know black nothing you see on the screen flash piece of the corpse then you repeat it and for about three or four different frames, right? It's funny when you hear things like that from people that were involved in a, in a, in a, in a picture like this that ends up being one of the most influential, you know, people's favorite kind of horror movies. When you hear, like, they had doubts about shit, but then you realize, like, wait a minute, well, they were the first ones doing this kind of thing, you know? So, like, it, w- yeah. it would have been strange and unusual the way they did this in 1973, you know, and in 1974. Now you're yeah. like, yeah, every other movie's kind of like that. But this is why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it becomes these movies. I mean, you don't realize it, I guess, until you, unless you were watching it before you see the other ones that came out after it. It's how influential it is, even though it might seem like it's a overused scenario. These were some of the first movies to do it, and it was new at the time and innovative. And that's why you see it pop up in a bunch of other horror movies later down the road. Speaking of new and innovative, are we supposed to hate Franklin? Because if so, they like. I think the new, the new and innovative thing i alluded to there is like shouldn't you kind of like the guy and that's a paraplegic in a wheelchair <laughs> you should shouldn't he be sympathetic well, no because i mean I, well i don't say no but you know when he rolls downhill mid piss <laughs> uh, i mean just i mean i've seen this movie several times but you know i just can't stand this guy they oh, should have yeah. just left him there <laughs> Well, you're not the only one. Uh, apparently, everybody, well, I won't say everybody, but a lot of people in the production of this movie also didn't like him. But it's not necessarily that they didn't like Paul A. Partain necessarily, you know, but 
but because he was so well at portraying Franklin, the way he was written, I guess, as being that annoying and whiny and all that, nobody liked to be around him on the set. <laughs> yeah. It's just weird to me, like, why they would set the guy up that is in the wheelchair. He should be the most sympathetic. Like, you're rooting for this guy to survive in a movie like this, right? But instead, no, they go the complete opposite direction. Like, no, you want him to be one of the first. It's just it's like, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Also, not uh, that, but got the part where he goes down the hill, right? I'm taking, like you said, in mid-piss, and he gets blown over by the tractor trailer going down there. Got to go retrieve him and get him back up the hill. That had to be a process in and of itself. But, but beyond that, once they get to the house, well, before that, you get the hitchhiker, right? Yeah. But I'm just skipping forward a little bit to the house scene where, yeah, yeah. again, when when he's in the truck with Hitcher, Hitcher, you, your your focus is on the Hitcher at that point. The hitchhiker is more, you know, yeah, you forget be. a little bit how annoying that Franklin is until you get to the house again and he's going through the whole thing in his head about, is this a sign? Is this a symbol? You know, and then he gets in the house. And they're upstairs and they're they're checking out the house and all that, and he's down there being you know, <laughs> the self pity yeah. party. Like, oh, yeah. And then you're like, oh yeah, that's right. Fuck this guy. <laughs> yeah. Trying to get through the door frame. And he's like that, but, yeah, plus the, when they call him and uh well they say it in the plot summary too, but they call him an invalid. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. man. Well I mean. <laughs> come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that I don't know, and that guy in particular, the character I should say, uh that's yeah. probably an apt description because he kind of was you know, <laughs> just a whiny bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, how about the spitting? The spitting part, too, where he's like... There's visible all over his face and stuff, and that just makes you don't like him even more. You know? <laughs> You're just being ridiculous and now. And another one of those things, too, to throw... There's a lot to throw you off here if you think. If you think, like, right, you know, of course you got the crawl, but then you've got those pictures, right, of the horrible... Of the fucked up imagery. Then you've got the shit at the graveyard oh, yeah. and all that... You, so it's in your mind, like, man, this is fucked up. There's a grave robber. What the fuck is he doing with the bodies and shit? Like, so that's already in your head. Then you meet this handicapped guy that you should be, you know, <laughs> you should be like, oh, there's sympathy there, but you're not. Then they throw you off with this hitchhiker. Like, they, they put this guy in the van, and this guy is fucking weird. Like, yeah. And, and before that part, though, did, didn't they show the cattle? I think they're talking about cattle yeah. and sledgehammers and how the yeah. sledgehammer is not, you know, not human or the steel gun is. The more humane, right? The, the piston or whatever, but the but isn't that before they meet up with the hitchhiker when they're first talking about that? I believe, and then yeah, they pick him up. Fr Franklin's talking about, it. yeah, my uncle or whatever used to work in a slaughterhouse, and then he's talking about how they used to use sledgehammers, and then they wouldn't die on the first whack, and they had to, you know, hit him two or three times to get him, you know, yes, yeah, so, like everything <laughs> is setting up here to like really just throw you off your game and just disturb you in a thousand different ways. And it goes along with what we talked about, how like they don't have to show you super gory things. They're just sitting there talking about it. They're talking about the cows getting slaughtered. Yeah, they're talking about it, and then they show the cows. They, they show yeah. they, they come out of the van to show you this this cattle farm that they're riding by and to give a close-up of the cow as they're talking about the, the ways to kill them. Yeah. But you don't <laughs> see a thing. All you're looking at is, all you're doing is looking at cows like, you know, slobbering and them talking about how they slaughter them. But it's disturbing. Yeah, what you don't get is that it's a, you're talking about themselves. Basically, they're talking about what's going to happen to them. I mean, you don't put that together yet, but later when well, you, you see what that. happens in the movie, yeah. that they are cows being slaughtered or whatever, you know. <laughs> and then the, the weird hitchhiker gets in and he starts talking about like, oh yeah, the, the, the sledgehammer way, that's the way to go. And then you're just like, what mm -hmm. the fuck? 
you know that that's inhumane. Why is this guy, you know, but then he cuts himself with the, with the knife for no reason. <laughs> and then pulls out a, a straight, like a straight razor, puts it away. And then like, they're basically like, yeah, fuck off. You know? Right. So then he just decides to, to take a picture of them and then light the picture on fire. Yeah. He takes a picture like the roads, like the people that are like, you know, on the side of the, like, Hey, you know, uh, I took this picture of you. It's a nice picture. You want to give me some money for it type thing. $2. (laughs) And they're like, no, we're not paying you for that. Yeah. So yeah, that's what it does a little voodoo ritual thing on it and throws it on some aluminum foil and like with some sulfur gunpowder stuff or whatever, and then burns it up and does this whole little, (laughs) this little ritual where he's like, do it like, you know, flames. Yeah. 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 But you know, it doesn't say that, (laughs) you know, no, that's, that's actually better than what he actually said. Flames. Flames. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't think he said anything, right? He's just sitting there with a with the with a, with a like in grin on his face with his hands like around the flames or whatever, and then the flames yeah. just go down and he up the uh aluminum foil and puts it in his little leather, well it's probably made of human skin pouch or whatever he's wearing. <laughs> They're all sitting there like, what in the absolute fuck? You know? <laughs> well, as you should. As you should, I guess. Yep, and then, and then that's when he what grabs Franklin's arm and that slices it with a razor. Yeah, and then they they toss him out. You know, mm. he's he's been hexed. I guess he what well, not not him, but they he kind of hexes them. I guess it's kind of the way I kind of felt about it. Like, oh shit, this dude done put like the voodoo curse on him or something. Yeah, because he's rubbing his arm on the side, of, and that's what I was alluding to earlier when they were talking about Franklin. They, when they finally get to the house, like you see the hitcher out there, like rubbing his bloody because he had yeah. cut himself. You mentioned yeah. that right that he cut his own finger. Or his yeah, own hand, his rather. Palm, yeah. That's what this guy's nutbag. And then, you know, from that blood on his cut hand, he rubs it on the van, and then they kind of figure out, like, maybe it looks like a symbol. I mean, when they get there, so that's what Franklin's worried about that they that they cursed him. He cursed him for some reason or somehow. You kind of like, you know, jump ahead a little once you, they finally get in the farmhouse or whatever, and then they start dropping, like, you know, dude getting uh, the hammer to the head, Pam on the meat hook. Um, you know, some mm-hmm. of these iconic, especially that one, like, just the. To me, on that one the, with the meat hook thing, it's 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 just brutal because he's, it's like he's treating her like a fucking pig, you know, like to the slaughter yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. Like I think that's what the, is so, like the, the the thumping on the ground with her feet and stuff, right? Like yeah, it's just yeah. brutal. Yeah, that's that. And then just I mean, slamming guess, that door. Yeah, that damn door, that steel door thing. Yeah. That that whole image, that whole scene, and we have to go back a little bit on it right before they get there. Whenever they hear this generator going, right, so they figure, okay. Well, we need gas because uh, to go back even a little bit further, the uh, the scene at the gas station they were at, right, where the guy that, you know, you come to find out this Jim Seedow, the actor, and, you know, like I said, we're a spoiler to a podcast, so yeah. anybody and people that have already, most people probably already seen this movie know that Jim Seedow is going to, is part of the family and he comes back into the picture later on. But he, he does something here where you don't, you don't think of it right away, but is that also with something else that comes back to like, oh man, that's messed up, is that. Uh, he gives, he offers them barbecue, right? They have some barbecue there. You know, they don't have any gas, but he's got some barbecue here. And so yeah. he gives them some barbecue and they're chewing on it. And Franklin's got this, <laughs> this hunk of sausage hanging out of his mouth that, uh, has had some uh, people refer to it as a, as a dick, basically. <laughs> is that supposed to be, you know, Toby Hooper said, no, it's not supposed to be a dick. It's just, it, it is human meat though. That <laughs> you find out later yeah, after, yeah. you know, <laughs> later on that that's what they're doing. They're cannibals and they, they, they cook up the bodies of the people they kill or whatever, make it into barbecue and all that stuff. So the kid, the teens were eating human flesh basically when they were eating this barbecue that you don't realize that until later on. And you're like, damn, that's, that's, that's messed up. And then also the part, like you said, when they get to, 
the house and then they get to they they don't have gas so they're wandering around uh what's her name pam and uh the other one of the uh, other hippie kirk, dudes kirk. <laughs> I can't uh, think the of first name. guy that gets it with the hammer kirk yeah kirk, yeah, gets kirk. they're out walking and they hear a generator so like oh fuel we know maybe they have some fuel we could get from them and they they walk up to the house. That whole scene, too, is very like Daniel Pearl. I don't know if it's Daniel Pearl in combination of him and Toby Hooper that set these shots up. You see them walking from behind. The camera's following them. But the, the camera's like on the ground looking up so that you see the sun and you, you feel that heat again. And the, the heat just plays a, a, a crucial role in this movie. And we didn't mention it in the van. When they're in the van, it's so bright outside. And Daniel Pearl had to jack up the iris of the camera so much to ca- capture the inside of the van. That all of the windows are so hot from outside that like the light is all you see from the windows. You don't see the countryside hardly at all. Yeah. And the windows outside the van, you just see white light, white hot heat basically coming in through the windows. So so yeah, heat plays an important role. Now, like I said, that shot of the sun behind them when they're walking, they get to this house. And then another cool tracking shot was uh, which because I think it's definitely worth mentioning, is well, first that swing, right? There's a swing made of like railroad ties, like like this. Yeah. Huge framework of old railroad ties or whatever. But they made this frame for this swing to sit in. And uh, the camera goes behind the swings. And uh, Pam's sitting in the swing waiting for Kirk, who goes up knocking on the door, walks in the house, right? And that, this scene happens. Everything happens really fast during this part. And this is like, you know, you don't think of it these days. At the time, though, it was very innovative, I think. It's that He gets in there and he goes up. goes to the, He sees that steel door that's open like some deer heads hanging on the wall back there. It's like a stairwell that leads down to where you don't know. And he hits in that, gets in that doorway. Bam, the Leatherface is there filling up the door frame. Slash, you know, he hits him right in the head with a sledgehammer. He goes down the ground. He's twitching. You see some blood. Again, it's not like overly brutal. Like, I mean, it's brutal. You put it together in your head again, that it's a brutal scene without there being a whole lot of blood. There's a little bit of blood splatter. And then he's sitting there twitching. That's the real, like Josh yeah. mentioned, that's the real kicker, uh, no pun intended. <laughs> he's sitting there, like, twitching with his feet, kicking the ground and all that stuff. And then Leatherface grabs his body, pulls him in there, slams the door, and you get this big boom, you know, in yeah. the music or whatever. And your mind, you're like, holy fuck, what is happening? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it all it does all happen pretty quick, with uh, especially with Kirk and then Pam. And then, what is it? Uh, it's up off- Jerry. Jerry. Jerry comes along and yeah. sees Pam. Like she's spat, she's not dead, right? She's in the freezer, and like yeah, spasming like, and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then Leatherface pops in with a hammer, and that that was where I think they had some people walking out of some of the original screenings, pre-screenings and stuff. <laughs> you would think so, yeah. But, like if <laughs> if if they've hung in, they've probably hung in that far, and they got there, they're like, all right, well, see ya. Yeah, this, this is, is, and then like said, and, and then they have it. There's no gore in there, really. And then they look at each other and say, you know, this is 1974. And then, yes, yes. And then, (laughs) well, oh yeah, we didn't mention There's some little other little tidbits that like add to the things. Like when they're on the porch of the house, when they're before, you know, before Pam gets killed, before uh, Kurt gets killed or whatever, Mm -hmm. that uh, there's a tooth laying on the porch and it's got a filling in it. And he picks it up and like Pam's sitting there on the steps and he's like, hey, I got something for you. And like, she opens her hand because she she doesn't know what he has. And he puts something in her hand and he's like, (laughs) A tooth yeah. with a filling in it. You're like, how the hell? She's like, ugh, and throws it away, right? That that whole part that, you know, with Pam and uh, Kirk going off, like, that that is a uh, slasher trope. They're, they're just going off yeah. to have sex. 
right? So, <laughs> I'll, yeah, I'll get basically that's what yeah. yeah. Well, oh yeah, there was a shot too that I also didn't mention. I, I mentioned about the back behind shot where the sun's come. You know, they're walking and you're seeing them from behind as the sun's up in the sky like a big starburst. But also, whenever Pam's sitting on that swing, and after Kurt goes in and he gets killed and she doesn't know what's going on, that you know she she just knows he, he hasn't come back yet. So she gets up off the swing and you see this really cool tracking shot and also they had a, a dolly track that was only about 40 feet long i think so they had to you know do what they could do with that mm, yeah a real cool scene where she gets up off the swing and the swing is going and the dolly the camera's dollying from behind goes under the swing and follows her upstairs kind of thing just again a really cool shot not that it you know matters and i just thought it was it was very interesting looking whoever put that together well, i guess combination again daniel pearl and toby hooper setting the shot up but it is very memorable. Well, then when Leatherface finally comes along and uh, takes out Franklin with the chainsaw, that's pretty much like the next 45 minutes just Sally running around, right? <laughs> yeah, you get some more. It's a lead, It's like it's a lead-up. Like, they're really making you hate Franklin at this point because, you know, they're sitting there. They don't know what's going on. They're in the dark with the, the van. At first, they don't know they don't have the keys, right? So, like, they're just sitting there trying to honk the horn. And they're like, Kirk, you know, whatever. You know, they're yelling, and <laughs> Franklin's getting all... She's getting annoyed with Franklin, right? And she's like, well, just give me the keys. And then they realize that nobody's got the keys. They're like, they took the keys, Sally. (laughs) So, yeah, they're really making you hate Franklin as a character or whatever. And uh, then she's got to, he he doesn't want to stay there. So she's got to take him with her, pushing her, pushing him. And he's not the smallest people, pushing him in this wheelchair through the woods. So it's not like it's even, you know, concrete or something like that (laughs) with a flashlight to go find the rest of the crew that are that disappeared oh and then that scene where they're running through the woods a little later uh well i guess i guess we should talk about franklin's death right since we've uh, yeah, led up to it and whatnot. yeah with the chainsaw yeah that, mm-hmm. that that was a cool shot too and that was probably the only i don't know you say that's the only jump scare i think that's the only what you might would call jump scare in the movie not that jump scares had been even had a name at this time necessarily yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, probably the only outright like kind of thing yeah. where it's like, oh fuck! <laughs> yeah, you're just like they're they're going through the woods and you see the flashlight that Franklin's holding, kind of, you know, like they're flashing around trying to see where they're going or whatever. And then all of a sudden, you hear that? You know, they they heard something. They thought they heard something like twig snapping or whatever. And then he's in the light that he's flashing around. And again, this is another brilliant aspect of the editing is uh, whenever he's going this way or that, you kind of expect something's going to happen, but you don't really know. You don't expect it to happen when it happens. And that's kind of like the old sleight of hand magician trick of, you know, making the audience's attention be over here. And then all of a sudden this happens over there. So uh, then, you know, he's flashing the light around. Then all of a sudden you see the leather face in the light and the saw starts up at the same time. And he, that he jumps forward at Franklin. So you see him in the light, you hear the chainsaw, you know, and then he's there. So it's definitely a very effective scene, I think. And then, again, yeah, he's sawing up Franklin, but you're not seeing the saw. You're not seeing an arm fall, you know, get chopped off or blood even flying. The only you do see a little bit of blood, but it's in the chainsaw in the flashlight that's still on. You see a little bit of blood get splattered up on Leatherface as he's sawing Franklin. Mm-hmm. You hear the saw, and you see you see his arms kind of flailing around and stuff, but you don't see actual contact. So again, another brilliant scene of like editing and sound and all that stuff to make your mind complete the brutality that's going on without seeing it. How about when they finally get a hold of Sally and then the whole dinner, the whole dinner table scene? Yeah, that's, (laughs) that's grueling. That whole rest of the movie that goes, that starts in the farmhouse. Then on is like, you, you feel the actors, what they're going through in that movie. And and it's, 
it's effective, all right. <laughs> and the and the the close ups of her eyeball, right? Yeah. Where it's just twitching around, like mm-hmm. jerking back yeah. and this like straight close up of it. Her screams, like they yeah, it's a bit annoying at first, especially but I mean you it adds to just that whole scene of this angst and whatever in the farmhouse. Yeah. Also the uh the hitchhiker making fun of her. That is hilarious. It, it's, it always is. Oh, man. That, that Ed Neal is like part of him and, his, him and the cook, Jim Seedow. They, they, they provide the comic relief, so to speak. I mean, it's not really a relief, though. I mean, it's still, it, it almost makes it even more tension, more higher whenever they're doing and saying what they're saying, even though you're kind of laughing at it. It's you know, still messed up or whatever. But then they have that little bit of tension, like because Leatherface sawed up the door right when he was chasing her earlier in the movie, and then he comes in, he's like, look what your brother did to the door, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, I, yeah, the hitchhiker making fun of her there is, is still not as gold as Grandpa with the hammer. <laughs> uh, he gold. just, mm, just ha- some half-ass, like, uh, I don't know, attempts. At, oh, God. And it's just awful. <laughs> I guess he's doing it as good as it can be expected for a 150-something-year-old. Now, I don't know yeah. how old he's supposed to be, but he's obviously very, very aged. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of reminds me of the judge, you know, Dan Aykroyd's character. In, uh, uh... Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nothing but trouble. Nothing but trouble, yeah. There, there's some loose similarities there, just saying. <laughs> Rough. There wasn't a hot dog. Well, maybe yeah. that kind of was. An overt hot dog scene. Yeah. How about some mustard? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's another thing entirely nothing but that nothing but trouble scene into even into texas chainsaw massacre found its way in Uh, it's it's about once a month it's going to come up yeah it's an easy easy thing to uh, connect it was the number one uh what was it what was our uh our year-end show that was the winner of something uh no it was the funniest moment that's what it was. Oh, funniest moment. Yeah. Of that, of that, yeah. 2022. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The whole, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. The whole sausage or hot dog eating dick nose saying, <laughs> yeah, that was the. <laughs> Which actually, if you haven't uh, checked out our uh, Spook Show Awards show from last year, it's in our archives. Yeah. You should definitely go check that out. Yeah. Yeah. If you listen to most of what we did last year, uh, that's a good recap of everything. That's a good one. <laughs> good one to go True. back and check out. Sally gets away. You know, after the dinner thing, right? <laughs> with Grandpa just flailing away or whatever. But like most of it, that's what it is. It's like hide and go seek with uh, Leatherface and whatnot. Right after that point, true. Yeah, yeah. The the, uh, the hitchhiker was it? She she ends up getting away. She jumps out the window. Uh, the hitchhiker and Leatherface chase her. Uh, <laughs> hitchhiker's just kind of slashing at her. Yeah, razor. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the razor, and then uh, Sam, uh, like a semi truck comes. Comes basically out of nowhere, plows over the hitchhiker. And then the trucker, uh, he stops, uh, grabs a wrench, and then he like he throws the wrench at Leatherface, hits him in the head, and then uh, Leatherface drops the chainsaw, uh, lands on his leg. It cuts himself. Yeah, and then he he gets up, uh, and the trucker just he doesn't get back into the truck. No, he just, yeah, he just puts it. Yeah, he just fucking runs away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there should man. have been some follow-up to what happened to that guy. Yeah, 
Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like he's in, just, in, in he's another just wandering this countryside. So. Yeah, he's just still just running. <laughs> he's still around. running. Yeah. <laughs> legend, <laughs> to this day. Legend has it. <laughs> but you do get the, you know, I, I know we're kind of fast forwarding through, but like you do get the really cool shot toward the end, you know, once uh, uh, Sally um, gets away and she's just laughing, yeah. <laughs> you know, out of just pure insanity, right? And Leatherface has just got his chainsaw like spinning it around. Uh, you know, like as the sun is coming up, you know, yeah, like, it's yeah. just a cool, sh- cool, uh, memorable shot. They come known now as his Leatherface's chainsaw dance, I guess. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Iconic. Yeah. And that had to be, and I know it was. Oh well, I didn't mention this earlier too. There was another scene of like some danger involving the saw, but just to shoot that scene, <laughs> uh, you know, the cinematographer. I guess I'm guessing it was Daniel Pearl that was shooting it with you know with camera at that point of trying to avoid the saw as he's you know doing this improvised dance thing <laughs> pretty grueling i guess but yeah there was another scene where the saw ended up i think it was when when they were cha- when uh sally was being chased through the woods one of the scenes when she was being chased through the woods and uh leatherface is behind her but he also had three inch heels we didn't mention that uh gunner hansen was pretty tall and his big you know big frame to begin with but to make him even more imposing they had a uh, three inch heels added to his boots to make him taller even. So he's running through the woods with these three inch heels and a chainsaw with active saw blade and all this. And, uh, tripped at one point, I believe in the saw, he lost control of the saw. The saw went up in the air. And so basically the crew was like, Oh my God, where the fuck's it going to come down at? Luckily nobody got hurt, but it was a grueling moment, I guess. (laughs) A near, near accident at least. Yeah. I think I saw too, Hmm. like when they, uh, with the chainsaw, that part where he had uh, Kirk, you know, the actor was William Vale when he had him down, and it was like basically like in 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 real life that thing came about three inches from his face, yeah. the chainsaw. Yeah, yeah. and he's basically Remember, Gunner, Gunner Hansen's like, "Don't fucking move," you know. <laughs> yeah. Don't move, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna get hurt, or you're gonna yeah. die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you will die for real. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, yeah, this movie, and again, you can't make this movie nowadays. I mean, look, you could get some guerrilla filmmakers or whatever in the backyard doing something or whatever, but but yeah, they didn't have, uh, you know, safety things on the set that they would have in any no. any other given Hollywood movie where <laughs> where they wouldn't be using live blades, no, you know, it, with, the saw, with the blade actually turning on the chainsaw in a scene where they had, a, you know, actors, even the actor holding the saw, they would be afraid something would happen to him. So. Yeah. yeah, so I guess, you know, that's pretty much it as far as, you know, just the blow-by-blow, so... uh I guess we'll go ahead and get in the star rating and uh, smoke. We'll go ahead and uh, I think you nominated this one, right? That that it, it ended up. I mean, we did the wheels, yeah. but I think you nominated it, right? So yeah, yeah, I put it on the wheel. We put like you mentioned in the beginning. We chose a new, an old movie and a new movie yeah. each, yeah. Uh, and put them all on the wheel. And yeah, this one was the one that got got nominated. So by the luck of the luck of the wheel spin. So I'll let you go first as far as the star rating is concerned. As anybody who's listened to the show would know, uh, and for those who haven't. Uh, Dawn of the Dead that we covered, and I don't remember the episode number. I don't have it in front of me. We did cover it not too long ago. That was my number one. That is my number one horror movie. And it's just, uh, just listen to that episode. It's a great episode. It's a great movie. Uh, but for me, Dawn of the Dead is a personal experience. At that point, it was the movie that was sort of a watershed movie for me that turned me into more of a casual fan into a, a lifelong fan of, of the horror cinema. And knowing going at that point, figuring out who is the director of this movie or who did that special effects and who did, you know, so Dawn of the Dead was a movie that did that for me and I'd seen it 
Around the same time, I guess I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And as I'd mentioned, Texas Chainsaw, I was disappointed the first time I saw it. And it took me a few views before, because of the hype that I'd had in my head before. And it took me a few views to come around to it. So, uh, but now, at this point, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is my second favorite horror movie of all time. And I can't go any lower than five stars on it as well. So, uh, five stars for me for Texas Chainsaw. Donnie, what do you say? Uh, it's a really good, uh, you know, uh, can... I could echo most things uh, with smoke. Uh, uh, my, you know, my rating basically reflects the implied horror, uh, but also, you know, I wish it had a little bit more than what it, you know, what it does. But that said, you know, still got to uh, pay respects to its uh, its genius. I still wish it had more, and I feel like the potential was there for um, to do more with it. But yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say four and a half. I'm just gonna say five stars. I mean, because for me, it's it's right up there, and, and that's what I gave Dawn of the Dead. And to me, this is very close. It's right up there, man. I mean, highly influential, and that's taking into account, like Smoke said, you know, my initial disappointment. But over the years, I've grown to appreciate it more and more. And like I said, my it's probably like back then I probably would have gave it like eh, it's fine, two and a half. But you know, like it's like every time I watched it, like. It, it grew on me more and more, and then you learn more and more about it. And I think I'm here. Like if I look at Dawn of the Dead like this, I kind of have to look at it in a very similar light. So I'm, I'm just going to go five stars. It'll be interesting, like I said, to see what uh, Will has to say about it. Since like I think this will pretty much be the first time he's yeah. experienced it, you know, from beginning to end, or at the least, I would imagine the first time he's watched it from beginning to end in a long mm-hmm. time. So. Probably have a, a fresher set of eyes than the three of us. But yeah, right now we sit at a four, a consensus rating of four point eight stars. So it doesn't get much. It really didn't get much bigger yeah. than that, as far as uh, we it's are tough. concerned. Yeah, uh, and that I think that adds to uh, what we've done. You know, in our new quote unquote calendar year here, we've done a couple big ones, and this is yet another one. So uh, we'll get his uh, thoughts on it. But you know, since he's not here, he can't do the kill count. But we can give you our other little features. Connections from the <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. Just all right. So uh, yeah, if you're just joining us, uh, this is a you know a big episode. It's a you know probably a really good one to uh, um, you know if you're just joining us. But anyway, we take the current uh, movie and we um, connect it to past Spook Show episodes. So uh, on the cast side. Uh, John Larroquette, uh, you know, we mentioned earlier, he was the narrator for Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, and he was paid in weed, uh, which I th- I don't think uh, I think he commanded uh, a little bit more for his uh, uh, for this one, but uh, uh, he was also in Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight, uh, which we covered all the way back in uh, episode one twenty nine. So that's the only connection from the cast side. Um, and the only connection from the crew side, uh, special effects crew member, uh, Dean Miller, uh, he did the, um, he was on the special effects crew for Pet Cemetery from 1989, which we covered on episode number nine. All right, like I said, we don't have the kill count, but. Gore score. Professor? Oh, yes. As we've talked about through this entire episode, there's not much gore to speak of, even though the movie is brutal in your mind and disturbing in that way. It's 
not a whole lot of gore. So I'm going to, I'm going to try and base this gore score on the amount of actual on-screen gore. So, so some people that might come across as shocking, uh, how low it is really, because of, and then to go through some of it, I mean, you have, I don't know if you would consider the corpse at the beginning as the flash bulbs are going off as being gore. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a decomposing corpse. It's not necessarily gory per se. It's just it's disturbing in that these, you know, the implications of it, the grave robbing, yeah. and they've been put in these various odd positions on top of tombstones and stuff. So, yeah, it's a disturbing scene, but not really gory. You have Kurt getting hit in the head, head with a hammer, and there's a little bit of blood, and it's definitely disturbing and brutal. But the only gore is the blood splatter on, right? So then uh, you come to Pam getting hung up with a meat hook. Again, same thing. You you see her going towards the meat hook. Leatherface is lifting her up. And as I'm talking about the gore score, I might as well mention this because we didn't really mention it either. The meat hook scene, the meat hook's facing her. He's walking towards her. You know what's going to happen. He's going to slam her on that meat hook. Uh, they cut when they're making it, and they turn the meat hook around backwards. So then the meat hook is facing backwards. Get back to the scene, Leatherface lifting her up. She's got a hoop on her back, like a brace, leather brace. And he lifts her up and hooks this ring that's on the brace into the hook that's now facing backwards. But you don't see all that. Your mind sees him lift her up, and you're, in your mind you're seeing it penetrate her the back as he's slamming her down on the hook but really he's just pushing her down and now she's hanging by this brace with the hook facing away from her but it still looks very very realistic very well done scene not really gory though i mean your your mind is the one that's completing the you know the the, the brutality of the scene then he takes the chainsaw and he starts sawing on uh kurt right that's uh that he had hit in the head and laid on this big wooden slab that's in the room where she's hanging on the meat hook Again, he's sawing, but you, you're seeing him sawing. Your mind's putting together that he's sawing up Kirk, but you don't see even any blood flying around in that scene either. So that scene, really not gory either. Who was it that went in the house to find Pam in the freezer and Kirk? Can't think of his name right now. Uh, uh, Jerry. Jerry, yes. Yeah. So Jerry, again, gets hit in the head with Sledgehammer 2. Again, not very gory, but brutal. You have all the animal bones and everything, but that's not necessarily gory in and of itself. You have Franklin getting killed with a chainsaw. And again, that's the next scene that we see a little bit of blood. But, you you know, again, your mind's putting together that he's getting sawn up. But all you see is a little bit of blood being flicked up on Leatherface. Uh, and then you get to the actual only real gore in the movie is, uh, I mean, well, you have you've seen where Sally, you know, Grandpa hits her, what, once or twice, I guess, <laughs> with the hammer. There's <laughs> a little bit of blood, maybe, but not, again, overly gory. You have the hitchhiker slashing her back as she's running. And again, it's brutal and your mind's putting it together for you, but you're not seeing a whole lot of blood flying off or anything like that or, or actual razor close-ups like you would see in a little bit later in the 80s slash movies if they were doing it in the 80s where you would see the razor make contact with a prosthetic back. You know, you see the slashes and the blood and everything. And again, and Texas Chainsaw 2, you will see that as the uh, chop top has a very similar scene chases a girl down and is slashing her with a razor very much the same way, but you see it more in that movie, right? But, uh, then you have the only, as I was saying, the only actual gore of a chainsaw making contact with flesh is when uh, Leatherface gets hit in the head with a wrench by the truck driver, <laughs> goes down on the ground, and the saw comes into contact with his leg. And again, that was done by, uh, they had a metal, again, very dangerous, and they wouldn't do it this way today, but there, there was an active saw blade. There was a steel plate on his leg with a blood bag filled with, raw meat and stuff like that in his blood back steak or whatever and so in the the, con the chainsaw makes contact with the pants leg cuts through the pants and cuts through the blood bag and you see the blood and the meat you know so that's the only real gore in the movie other than the blood splatter and that was it so when you think about that a little bit of blood splatter no actual mutilation on screen heck i don't know i'm 
I almost want to rate you almost want to rate it for the brutality of certain scenes, right? But you can't really do that. I'm trying to be, you know, <laughs> trying to rate it for the actual on screen gore. I'd probably have to go with a four. It's uh, uh, a different type of gore in the sense of like how you feel about it after you've watched the movie and during it versus what you actually saw, you know? So yeah, I think like you said, as far as like seeing it on screen, you don't see a lot. So I think it's, I think it's a fair assessment of the situation. The only movie I can think of, the only one really, I mean, maybe there's some other that'll pop up, but the only one I can think of that's as brutal and disturbing as it is with no real on-screen gore to speak of. So like, like I said earlier, uh, where we're leaving it for now without Will's rating is a 4.8 stars. Over on IMDb, it gets 7.4 stars out of 10. And the meta score is 87. That's out of 100. So obviously that's pretty good. Uh, you yeah. Get, you go over to uh, um, Rotten Tomatoes, and you actually get Certified Fresh. That's with over 65 credit reviews, 88%. So that's about right. I mean, I, I would put it a little higher, but 88% is still good. Still Certified Fresh by their scale. And the audience score is 82%. So I think pretty much across the board, you know, it's most degree. You watch this, you know, you know, you kind of, if you kind of know what you're in for, this is the kind of thing you're going to like. If you don't like those ones that stick with you, Maybe not your cup of tea. But yeah, that that's it for uh, this episode. As far as what we're going to watch next week, we have no fucking idea. Because Will is not here to tell us what he's picking. <laughs> so, you'll find out when we do next week. We'll just, <laughs> we'll have a movie. <laughs> so just get ready. Now, to, to, to yeah, that's listen. actually, the, it, that has to be the first time that's happened, right? It seems like it might have happened a time or two before where, like, as of the recording of this, we couldn't tell you what we're going to be watching the next week. And we have changed it where, like we said, it was mm -hmm. one movie and then it ended up being another. That's happened a time or two as well. Yeah. So not quite the first time, but, yeah, it's very rare that we don't know, you know, well yeah. in advance what we're going to be doing. But uh, since Will wasn't able to join us and, and the next movie is his pick, you know, in our rotation. So mm. I cannot yeah. I cannot tell you right now what it will be, but you'll find out next week when you tune in, stay tuned to our YouTube channel where we have so much stuff going on there. It's, it's hard to keep up with. Oh yeah. Lots of stuff. <laughs> Patreon.com slash AA spook show, all the rest, AA spook show.com. So for Will, couldn't be with us, Donnie, professor smoke. I'm Josh. We are the all American spook show. Here's to another 150 episodes, guys. See you. Oh, yeah. It's been a joy. Please replace the speaker on its rack when you're ready to leave. Failure to do so will damage both the speaker and your car. We'll be grateful, and so will the patrons who follow you.